Dave, uh, a couple weeks ago, sent me an email. Thanks. Want to know if I could give the message today uh, on the, this specific day. So I forwarded it to Jane. I said, are we anything going on this weekend that I couldn't do the message? Her reply back, copying Dave, was, no problem with the uh, message. I'm just tired of all Jeff's preaching at home, so I don't know why I'm going to be here today. But anyway, uh, I sent a little sermon blurb out. You get those weekly emails ahead of time on how many of you read that or not. I admitted to some pretty stupid things, uh, just a few of the very stupid things I did when I was younger, 17 specifically. Uh, but in my own defense, I will tell you this. I, I was an excellent driver. Uh, I was very talented. I, and I should have been because I grew up on a farm, operated tractors, combine, did cultivating, a lot of things, owned a mini bike when I was young. My parents actually even let me drive on the road once when I was 11 years old to get a, a, a car from one field to the other. Almost went in the ditch, but I did not. I was able to hang on and, and make a corner at the bottom of a hill. Um, drove boats, uh, motorcycles. I is an extremely talented driver, probably much more talented than I am today. However, uh, because I was young, because I was 17, and uh, I did not uh, always drive the way I should. I was reckless. I was stupid in a lot of times of what I did. And I can say that with my kids here now because they're all older than age 17. But, but I, did, I made some terrible mistakes. Uh, and so, uh, interestingly enough, that's not terribly strange for someone who's 17, who's a boy. Look at the insurance rates for any of you parents who don't have your son yet, but if you do, at age 17 or 18, 19, all the way through 24, uh, young men get to pay a lot for insurance because it's very common that they're not great decision makers, uh, nor was I at that time. So it's, uh, it's uh, really a nice tie-in to what we're going to study today, which is very short, although I think I can still stretch it into 30 minutes, but it's a very short verse, verses in the Bible. And it's uh, in Proverbs, and most of Proverbs comes from King Solomon. Uh, but interestingly enough, the last two chapters, 30 and 31, are not written by him, or supposedly not. Um, 30 is written by someone called Agar, who um, we're not really sure who he is. He doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. He um, uh, really don't have any reference to him. Some people have actually theorized it's actually King Solomon, kind of a, an alias for him. But... Um, but we don't know. We know that he's a. We know that he uh, is someone that trusted God. We know that he's a um, humble, humble guy, and we know he prays, prayed pretty wisely. At least we think it is. Although it's strange, it's it's a wise prayer. So, uh, Richard, go to the next slide here. Dave kind of gave us a little uh, little uh, insight here. A proverb. What is a proverb? Uh, it's shorthand situation in life that re uh, recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. That's from. Kenneth Burke. Um, the other thing I think about when I think of Proverbs, it's about right relationships with God, right relationships with people. What Proverbs are not is they are not commandments and they are not promises. So we got to keep that in mind as we, as we go through uh, Proverbs. And what I talk about today, because this prayer is not a commandment and it's not a promise, uh, but it is wisdom that, uh, that we have right living with uh, God and with people. So if you go to the next slide, let's, I want to I kind of start digging through this. Dave read it. I'm going to read it again. Um, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Well, that certainly sounds good. I'd like to be truthful. That'd be a good, 
a good thing to do as a Christian, a good thing to do for anybody. So I think that's a great part of the, uh, uh, his prayer. Uh, um, give me neither poverty. Okay, that's good, because I don't want poverty. I didn't grow up around wanting poverty. I worked hard. I went to college. Did all sorts of stuff. Been at my firm for 33 years. I'm not looking for poverty, nor riches. Well, wait a minute. Why did I do all that stuff if I'm not looking to have a lot of riches? What, why, did I, why did I spend all that time? Why do I work so hard? What, do I, what am I doing here? This is where I think it gets kind of strange. Or it, was, it is strange. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So no matter how many times you read the Bible, you come across strange verses like this. The question that I asked myself, and when I first went to message community Thursday morning a week ago, I uh, had some good uh, folks there with me. It's like, man, this is a stupid prayer. And why would anybody pray this prayer? Um, how many people have actually prayed this? You know, God, uh, I don't want to raise this year. Um, people don't go on strike because they're paid too much, right? Very few groups have done that. Very few strikes have ever happened in unions because people were paid too little, all right? So, um, in fact, most people, I think, if anything, are overwhelmed financially. They don't have enough. So why would that component be in there? I think it's very interesting. Um, let's go a little deeper. Let's start in verse 8. It's not referenced up there, I don't think. No, verse 8, but it starts specifically with keep falsehood and lies from me. So we're going to back up a little bit. I want to talk about falsehood and lies. And to me, falsehood and lies, the word I really like about that, and I think it kind of ties the two of them together, is deception. I think deception is a great word. And deception um, can be spiritual deception, uh, demonic, uh, where there's under spiritual warfare going on, and uh, spirits work hard to deceive you. Or it can just be self-deception, or it can be a combination, I think. Spiritual deception, to me, I, I like C.S. Lewis. You're going to hear me talk a little bit about C.S. Lewis today's Great guy. My wife reads him all the time. I just listen to what she says, and I learn that way. But um, so C.S. Lewis, his, he's got a book called The Screw Tape Letters, and the Screw Tape Letters are about uh, two demons. One's a senior level demon. I don't know if they're related. I don't know if demons can be related. One's a senior level demon, and then one's a, a, a kind of an understudy. Okay, and the senior level demon is Screw Tape, and the understudy is Wormwood, I believe. That's wonderful names, but. The, uh, the coaching that is in the letters from um, screw tape to Wormwood is all about deception, uh, sneaky, uh, no frontal attacks, a lot of side attacks, hitting people where, where they don't expect it, and they really don't have a, a, a way to, you know, very few people go out and commit murder or do the things that are wrong, but they do a lot of things that, are, that they deceive themselves or that the demons are able to deceive us on. And so I went through, oh, and, and, and think about this. When you're, when you're being deceived, you're not aware. And I think people who are not self-aware are really at great risk. Um, I, don't know how to, I don't know how you play defense against an attack if you're not aware the attack's going on, all right? That's deception. Um, I'm not sure how you could be transformed as a Christian, which was what we talk about a lot, if you're not self-aware of where your problems are. And I think you're going to see the map of transformation that helps deal with that, that Pastor Jeff and Dave... By the way, today I'm Pastor Jeff. That's just so you guys know, because Pastor Jeff's out of town. So I'm not just Jeff today. I'm Pastor Jeff, right, Dennis? We talked about that when I came in. 
How can an alcoholic uh, get sober if they don't know they're an alcoholic? Um, I, I was interviewing somebody for a leadership role about a month ago. I asked the question, uh, what do you find to be the hardest people to lead, uh, to, to, to get to, to, yeah, just to lead, to follow you? And he goes, people that aren't self-aware are terribly hard to leave. You just can't, you just can't get them to do anything because they don't even know what their own issues are. So in deception, um, I want to just touch on a few. I'm not going to hit the list all inclusively. Can't. uh, Wouldn't have enough time. But I want to hit on a couple things that came up at Message Community that I found very interesting. Um, One area of self-deception is vanity and image. All right? And vanity, I wrote down as as a definition, the excessive belief in one's own abilities or attractiveness to others. It's really self-idolatry. And... Um, Denny Ogden brought this up. He said, do you remember the Andre Agassi commercials from the early 1990s? It was about Canon, Canon cameras. And the tagline was, image is everything. Which is great if you're a camera, but if you go YouTube it, go, go put a few keywords in there, go YouTube it. The, it. the commercial had nothing to do with the image of Canon camera. It was all about Andre Agassi's image. And you know, prior, that wasn't the first time we've worried about image. It was, well, many years prior to that. It's probably been for the entire uh, existence of history. And since then, our image is so important. I had to ask my wife today if I should wear jeans or shorts. Now, maybe that wasn't the best example of a terrible image, you know, uh, uh, problem. But we think so much about image that we can't, we think about ourselves so much, we get consumed with that. Uh, so other things I thought of in terms of image and vanity, you know, somebody who has a really big house, no furniture. If we were in Texas, we'd say we have a big hat, no cattle. Um, Facebook can have an image effect to us. Clothing, cars, I mentioned our house, uh, taking selfies. I mean, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, just like money is not bad in and of itself, but it's dangerous. It can be very dangerous. Um, there is... Uh, something interesting about image that I think we got to ask ourselves as a question, and that is this. If we're really worried about our image, whose, whose opinion are we worried about? Are we worried about, am I worried about everybody here's opinion of me as image or the people I work with or my clients or whatever, or am I worried about what God thinks of me? And if you can only pick one person, obviously, you probably should worry about your image. You absolutely need to worry about your image with God, all right? But I don't know that we think that way. All right, another area, pride. Pride is a good one. Uh, you can have pride in your high status, you know, as what you've attained, what money you've accumulated, what your position of power is, or you can have pride in your low status. And this is an interesting one that I don't think we think of very much, but I've seen it. I probably actually experienced it in my life where I thought, um, you know what, I don't have what that other person has, but that's, in some ways, makes me a better Christian. Well, that's, that's pride. That's pride, and it's wrong. All right? It's, so here's what I wrote down for pride. Pride is either thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too much about yourself. Okay? In other words, your ego-to-value ratio is over one, maybe significantly over one. That's not good. Humility, on the other hand, is somewhat... You can define it in a similar manner to some degree. I think. Humility is not thinking less of yourself because we are in God's creation. We are not worthless, right? We, are, we have value. Your ego to value should be a one, right? 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less often. And I think this also reminded me of something that I experienced when I was younger. I, I was so consumed with trying not to be egotistical and, and to have a humble appearance that I thought of myself all the time. I was just constantly thinking about what can I do to not look like I think I'm a big deal. Well, guess what? That wasn't humility because I was constantly thinking of myself. It was another problem. It was still pride. All right? Another, another uh, van, uh, falsehood, deception, money brings happiness. We'll talk about them more in a minute. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. He said that in Matthew. Uh, excess pleasures bring uh, happiness. Read Ecclesiastes with what Solomon says. Um, the other thing that I would say that uh, is deception, and that is um, that if you worry about something, you can fix it. If you worry about it, it will help. I think this is where the spiritual deception kind of comes in. I don't know that there's as much self-deception going on there as there is spiritual attack and worry. That'd be my own personal opinion. But and then there's one last uh, deception that I think is, is, is absolutely important. It's something our community has experienced recently, and that is the deception that you are worthless. That's a, that's a terrible lie. I think it's very spiritually oriented, <clears throat> and it's one that we experience when, uh, when someone commits suicide, I think. I think what they, what they feel is that the grace of God cannot extend to them any longer, and that's their route, route out. Now, we know that doesn't take away their salvation if they're believers, but what does it do? Well, the demons win because they can't get salvation back out of someone once they've gotten it, but they can take them out of the fight. So... Keep that in mind. It's a tough, it's a tough lie, and if you start getting trapped in that one, it's really difficult. Okay, so continuing on with verse 8 and 9. Let's get into the money part. That's the fun part, right? That's why everybody showed up today. All right. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I think it's interesting he says my God. It's very personal to him. All right. I want to I want to go back to my upbringing. As I, as you guys figured out, I grew up on a farm. Spent a lot of time on gravel roads. That's how you get to drive when you're 11 years old. You don't go out in the paved the paved roads. And when and how many people here spend any time at all driving on gravel? Some people don't, right? Oh, Adam. Okay. You know you're going to kind of get this. All right. You're farm kids, or at least grew up in a rural part of the state. So gravel roads. So when you go down the middle of a gravel road, it's pretty safe. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty safe there. Now, you're not ultimately safe. You, got, you might meet a car. Okay, you can't stay down the middle of the road. Or um, you have intersections. That's a problem. Or you come up over a hill, you better not be in the middle of the road. There's a lot of reasons not to stay in the middle of the road all the time. Or necessarily you're going to find yourself in the middle of the road all the time. But... Pretty safe place to be on a gravel road right down the middle. All right? And I think that's what Agar is praying here, is that he wants to stay away from the ditch on the right, and he wants to stay away from, or let's see, your right, ditch on the right, and the ditch on the left, right? He does not want to end up in the ditch. However... Sometimes, as I mentioned, you've got to get over on the side of the road or you're going to find yourself over on the side of the road. So let's, let's wander over to the right side of the road. And we're going to say that uh, this is not having a lot of money. This is being 
for you need some money, all right? You can drive a long time on the right side of the road and not go in the ditch. And then in the ditch in this verse is dishonoring God, all right? You can drive your whole life on the right side of the road and not dishonor God, and you'll be fine. But what are the problems? The problems are, it's, if you've been on a gravel road, there's a lot of loose gravel over there. You can't drive the same speed a lot of times. Um, you can hit by a wind gust. You can have a deer jump out in front of you, <laughs> as one of my children did. Um, there are a lot of problems with the right side of the road, and if you take your hand off the wheel or if you lose focus, those right side tires are going to get sucked into the ditch and your car is going in the ditch. You just will, because I've done it. So um, it, it, is, it is dangerous, but it's doable. Agar does not want to be on the right side of the road because he understands the dangers. He understands and he is self-aware that even though he doesn't want to become a thief, he has no desire to go out and steal money, uh, he knows it could happen. Now get this. Why is Agar worried about, about um, having too little and stealing? What's it say? Does it say, um, you know what, that'll be uh, uh, breaking the law, I'll probably end up in jail, uh, or, or you know what, my character will be, that, that's just not good, I want to be a person of character, so I'm not going to steal, or uh, uh, it'll ruin my reputation, so I don't want to become a thief. Nope, doesn't say any of that. Not his concern. Not his concern. Remember, humility is, thinking, is not thinking too much about yourself. He's not thinking about himself here. He's worried that he's going to dishonor God. And if he dishonors God, he's dishonored someone that he feels he's got a very close relationship with, and it'll damage that relationship. All right? So he is much more worried about his relationship with God than he is about whether he's going to be thrown in jail. All right? Now let's move over to the left side of the road a little bit. Much more fun side to ride on, right? This is the, road, the side of the road that I want to be on. This is the side of the road that most people that I know, maybe not everybody in here, but most people want to be on the left side of the road. They want to have more stuff and more money, all right? Agar does not say this is a problem. I do not see in his verses, in his prayer, that, that having too much money is a problem. But he knows, he is very self-aware, he is not deceived in that he knows that if you have money, you can, be, you can have a very self-sufficient attitude. And it's very hard to pray for daily bread when you already have what you need, all right? The words of Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 23 through 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I came across a story when I, was, when I was preparing. I'll read this story to you. It's a good story. A wealthy church member was dying in his mansion, and his family gathered around to ask him for his last wish. Before I die, he said, I would like to take a ride. And they asked the rich man what he required for the ride before entering the kingdom of heaven. He said, I would like a very small camel and a very large needle. It wasn't that he couldn't get into heaven, but he realized the dangers of wealth. So the risks of money. I, I think they're, 
the risks of money are that it gets in the way of your relationship with God um, and you just kind of start forgetting about him because you don't need him. Things are going well. I think with money, you're really susceptible to self-worship. You, you self-idolatrize yourself in front of God. It's very, it's very tempting. Money is addictive. No matter how much you have, you never think you have enough. In Ecclesiastes, who lo- whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That's from Solomon. And as we talked about earlier, Christ said you can't serve both God and money. So I have a question for you. Do you think you're greedy? Do you think you're a greedy person? Okay. Have you seen the show American Greed? I've very, watched very little of it, but I've seen one segment or two. Watched it, okay? Those are greedy people, believe me. I know, because they're relatively much more greedy than I am, so they're the greedy people. Nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody does. In fact, that is one of the signs that you are greedy, is if you don't think you're greedy, all right? To me, greedy is this, wanting more of what we already have enough of or believing that all the money you have been given is for you, all right? I came across a list of things. This is side. I just thought it was a great list of things that money cannot buy. So I think I'll read it. Money will buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not an appetite, a house but not a home, companions but not friends, medicine but not health, amusements but not happiness, religion but not salvation, a crucifix but not a savior, the good life but not an eternal life, and a passport to everywhere but heaven. So, money. What is the goal about what money and riches? I don't, Agar's not saying you should feel guilty about having money, all right? Or working hard. It's pretty clear in the script. I mean, to me, God is a worker, right? He created things, created the universe. That seems like that'd take some effort. So, what is the goal then? If, if it is, I'm getting, I'm struggling with this. It's why I've never wanted to really study this verse before because I really felt like it would cause me to feel guilty. I, after studying it, I don't feel guilty about working hard and having some funds. But I think this is the goal that I think we've learned from this scripture verse. And that is to aim for a lifestyle that benefits others. All right? It's the humility thing. If you're thinking too much about yourself, you're not humble. All right? I back on? Good. If, if we live our life in a way that if you lost every single thing materially you had, materially, and it wouldn't really affect you that much, I think that's a good place to be. Because what you really want in life really can't be taken away from us, right? So Agar's prayer. I think there's one of two things you can do with this prayer now that I've studied it. You can, you can do this. You can say... Um, Please, God, uh, I don't want any more raises. Um, in fact, I want, I want to make less money so that I can barely get by. And, and it's really not a bad prayer. I mean, Agar's a smart guy. Um, it's just a tough prayer. It's a strange prayer. It's not a stupid prayer, but it's a strange prayer, and it's hard. And here's what I would say. I don't know. I've never prayed that prayer. I have to admit, I've read it. I, don't, I honestly haven't prayed it. Um, I don't think you should pray a prayer that you don't really fully intend to live through, all right? So, struggle for me. I, I, if you can't bring yourself to pray that prayer, then I think the, 
the only thing you can pray, and I think you have to be able to pray one of these things, is that, is that you ask the Lord to give you more than you need so that you can bless others. I think that's the key. And, and I think it has to be one of those two. And either one of them is a good prayer. All right? Jane and I have talked about how much to give um, to the church and, and just how, you know, how to be generous, especially in light of the vision that we put out, uh, that the vision team put together, and, and, uh, you know, and, and just all the circumstances around um, the church. And, and uh, I think it's, it's been good. Um, we came across, Richard, go ahead and advance to the next slide. We came across, again, C.S. Lewis. Um, Jane showed this to me, and I thought it was great. I'm going to read it. You guys can read it too, but I'm going to read it. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say there are, they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. I thought that was interesting. It, it had, had, brings an element of relativism into it in terms of how much people make. And I think the last sentence, couple sentences in there are charitable, um, like to do but cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Don't be deceived on this one. There are a lot of things that you would like to do you can't afford to do because you're saving for retirement or you got a kid in college, or all those things, but that's not being charitable. That's not being generous, okay? What is it that you can't do because of what you're giving away? I think there's where you start to feel like you're living a generous life. Okay, so let's slide into the applications here. We'll go through these quickly. Number one, I think you need to study and understand truth because I don't know how you fight deception and lies and falsehoods if you don't understand what the truth is. Um, obviously, reading the word, praying for self-awareness, right? Un have, help, have the Spirit and God show you what your problems are and where your weaknesses are. And then I will tell you the other way that is really impactful, and a lot of people do it, is through discipleship, either with, well, you're discipling someone while they're discipling you, Message community is great. I mean, that, that is a, an amazing uh, opportunity for discipleship and, and uh, study and understanding the truth. All right? The next one. Number two. <laughs> Live a generous life. We just talked about that. It was the C.S. Lewis quote. It's, it's probably the best antidote that I can think of, maybe there's another one, for uh, self-worship is to live a generous life uh, because it gets your mind off of yourself and on to others, and on to Christ, all right? Uh, and that's money, that's time, that's service, that's your stuff, that's all sorts of things. One comment, and I couldn't, I can't do this without, without sharing this. Um, I really like one of the things that our church was founded on, one of the principles, and that was we aren't just going to throw money at things. We're going we're gonna to invest part of ourselves when we do it, and I don't know if we've been 100% true to that, but we're really, we really try to. So, uh, missions work or, or faith in action or whatever, instead of just giving money away, we actually have to invest. And it's actually harder to invest your time and your efforts and part of you than to just give money. 
And I say that, it's, both are difficult. I'm not trying to minimize one or the other, but they're both difficult. And I think the other thing we have to realize is just throwing money at something sometimes makes it worse. That isn't an excuse not to be generous, but it, it, it's really a challenge and a conviction that if, you, if your money is just going to make something worse, but there's a money need, it probably means you need to get more involved than just giving money. All right? And lastly, it's all about image. So number three, we do want to build our image, but we need to build our image with Jesus, not, our, not people. Um, let me, uh, one of the verses that I liked in this when I was studying is Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, again, Bible study, time in prayer and meditation. Um, as part of the uh, request, honesty and confession with God, uh, all those things are important. And image is not a bad thing, right? Image is everything, as, as Andre Agassi told us. However, image for people is not what we're after. Image with Jesus is what we're after. I want to close with one more C.S. Lewis quote. And Jay, your prayer this morning was so aligned with this, it's more than interesting. Um, Chance, chance, yes. Amazing. Um, this, This quote is again about giving, but you really can expand it to include your relationship with Christ. And here's, here's the quote, and, and, um, and then I'll we'll end with prayer and we'll be done. All of our offerings, whether of music or martyrdom, so whether it's singing songs or whether it's actually losing your life for the cause of Christ, <clears throat> are like the intrinsically worthless present of a child, which a father values indeed, but values only for the intention. Let's pray. Father, we just want to stay out of the ditch. We don't want to go on the right side of the ditch. We don't want to go on the left side of the ditch. We don't want to dishonor you, and we don't want to disown you. Um, We want to depend on you. And I pray that if you just bless any one of us in this uh, this group, I pray that uh, that the Spirit will convict us to be a blessing to others with what you've blessed us with. Father, we want to work hard to build our image with you. We want to be your disciples, and we want to trust and obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.